the first thing I did when I was doing the finance stuff was walk around and who do I know? I know construction people. So I talked to construction people. Hey, you want to buy uh, mutual funds and life insurance? <laughs> what do they look at me like? No. <laughs> what's what's that? <laughs> was exactly. The worst was when I walked in. I remember walking up to this house somewhere just down the road from here, knocking on the door and the husband opens up the door and he looks at me. He's like, oh, insurance guy's here. <laughs> and I said, you're that guy. I'm that guy. Welcome to another episode of Efficient by Design podcast. Uh, today, uh, we have again my brother Brad. And as our guest today, we have Jared Spencer, who is a... Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, do I call him a good friend? Or is he like just a friend that I could say could become a good friend? Because <laughs> we've been acquaintances for, I guess, like seven years? Seven, eight years, yeah. Something yeah. like that? Yeah. And I, I would consider you a good friend. Like, what does that actually entail? Like, it's not like we hang out on weekends, but, you know, our, our kids know each other. And But if you called and there was a problem, yeah. I would do what I could yeah. to solve it. That's totally. a good friend. So, so I yeah. guess it depends. It's a good it friend. Depends, it depends on how you look at that. That's yeah. how I look at it anyway. <laughs> so if I could call you and say, hey, Brad, I, yeah. I don't know how to do yeah. this. Yeah. Can you help me out? Yeah. And I probably, okay. I probably wouldn't. And so I would just be a, a friend. <laughs> yeah. But I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say, actually, okay. Yeah. So this is my good friend, Jared Spencer. He's done a, a, a variety of solids for me, um, helping out with all kinds of stuff with projects and, and contacts and stuff too, beyond our, our building um, connections. Um, so a little bit of context as far as my original connection with you. Uh, there's a development about half an hour away from here, from where I live, that I built a first house in. It was a 230-lot subdivision and originally. And the very first house I, I in that subdivision I built with a local builder from here. And then as at the tail end of that, that house, so this great big open landscape, um, these guys pulled this trailer in and were looking to do four houses as this new building company to maybe take on the entire subdivision. Um, and they ended up kind of seeing us finish off this house, ended up hiring me on to do the first, first four houses with them. Um, and I'm trying to think how long after that, that you ended up joining so that company. I started in May of 2014. That's when I started. So, um, how much was there when you came in? How many houses do you think? Not not very many at all. Not many. Not very many at all. And maybe maybe half dozen. Maybe like okay. Jimmy was well over. He was he was it was yeah it was too much work for him. So yeah, it'd probably be at least ten homes. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so say ten twelve houses in. Then you showed up. Yep. Um, and then kind of took on project management and all all kinds of stuff. So we ended up working together there for the duration of time that we that my company framed framed there, which I think was about five years. I think five, six years, um, yeah. five, six years. And then, uh, I exited and did a couple other little builds and then transitioned into tool belt stuff. Um, and you guys know each other a bit through your wives. Yep. yep. Both of our wives are teachers in the same school district. And so, and I, I want to say there was some, they did some school together as well. Yeah. Back yeah. They did some school together as well. Well, uh, Emily went to, um, uh, UBCO. UBCO. Yep. And I think they maybe did their last, maybe yep. their last year together. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So tied And then we also have, all three of us have uh, a son in the same grade who all went to the same school. Yep. And so, yeah, 
uh, that was, that's also, I think we kind of rub shoulders more and more as the kids got to, but then when I was building my house, I actually came to you too, because you had um, everything from different stains and products. And Luke was like, why don't you go talk to Jared and he can tell you where he got it and how to, mm. how to get it. And so there was a bunch of those kind of interactions there, but then yeah, through the kids hanging out and it's fun. I would just say like with those boys, like they're the type of boys that, you know, they're going swimming in the middle of the winter. They're go taking off into the forest and building forts. You know, yeah. I come around to the back of my house and there they are, all their clothes are off except for their little underwear <laughs> And they've got the sprinkler on and they're like tackling each other, jumping on the trampoline, you know? So it's just, it's been fun to see our three boys just like killing it together. So it's been fun. And it's free living, right? Like free living, free yes. play. None of the, like, it's not like scheduled and you have to do this. It's like in the, in the woods play, like, like playing that I knew yeah. growing up that, yeah. I, that I understood not this. Free range. Yeah. Free range kids. Free range kids. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Organic. Do that now? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, free run. Yeah. <laughs> So let's, uh, let's go. So we, we spoke a little bit before we got started here in that, um, so the Okanagan Valley here in Southern BC, um, you basically were a kid here from age 12 and on, on originally. Yep. So, so you went to school that were you, you were in Summerland. I was in Sen Summerland and Penn high. Okay. Um, I went to uh, Summerland to begin with, and then I ended up graduating in Penn high. Hmm. Um, I liked, uh, yeah, I like going to back and forth a bit the variety okay. and but you lived in summerland the whole time i lived in summerland the whole time yeah and now there's a there's a kind of famous house in town yes yes my <laughs> father my father my father built uh, a geodesic dome in town they call it the golf ball house but it's yeah. a geodesic dome he built them all over canada actually really yeah yeah they're like um almost like a you, you build triangles and you put piece all these triangles together um to create a shell and then you build around that yeah so is so. that the one coming up summerland hill up on that's, the right that's the really? one yeah yeah so I, I grew up in the, the round <laughs> that was house. your house yeah that house. was the Always. primary house that was my primary house growing up as a kid so well we started we start so we started in penticton and lived in a rental place for a short period of time then we moved to summerland and lived in lower we lived in lower summerland mm -hmm. and then we moved in a couple other places like sold that and moved into a couple other places too while while we did the build and um, I remember I was 16, 17 years old, helping my dad, you know, <laughs> shakes up ladders. Like that's, that's where it started. Like okay, we got to hang out on this for a minute. Cause yeah. I have so many questions now. Like I've known for quite a while that you lived in that house, but I, as we drive by it, so there's a main highway that goes through Summerland here and up on the hillside, you see a portion of this a geodesic dome. That geodesic has, dome. Yeah. You see it up on the top of this hill yeah. and then it's got this like triangular deck yeah. off one side too that's crazy looking thing yeah and so i've seen it and I've, it you mentioned years ago that that was your house i was like oh crazy but it's not till now that i realized that it was like the primary residence like i thought oh, it yeah. was like this other structure on someone's property is this kind of hobby funky shop but that was the primary home no that's that's we lived in the, we lived in that home for a many and you know and my dad where we we grew up a uh, modest family so yeah. It was everything, you know, and he's a carpenter, a renovator. He would never say, I'm a carpenter. He says, okay. I'm a renovator. Mm. He was a renovator. And so he was constantly working on it and building it. You know, and it's, you know, you're constantly like getting friend and family deals as much as you can. Yeah. And you're, you're just doing everything you can to piece together. And, you know, I didn't get windows until, well, until 2008 or 2009 when I, <laughs> when I came back and helped him. So how, how many square feet is it? And so floors it, I think and it's like, about, how does that it's, work? It's 2,800 square feet. So there's the, there's okay. the base floor and uh, there's the base floor. And if my dad watches this, it's going to kill me because I'm going to probably say it all wrong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> time out. Base floor. It's a circle. 
So where's so, the floor? Where's so the circle? It's, it's a foundation similar, like a similar to a to a. You're not doing a round foundation. It was either an octagon or a hexagon or something. Uh, pentagon probably is what it was. Okay. And then you then you rest the triangle on the. Uh, I mean the cirque, the sphere on yeah. the on on the footing itself. So imagine like a two foot standard frost footing, mm -hmm. and then it has a crawl, like a little little tiny crawl underneath yeah. it, and. He's old school, so it was like sand and poly, not even like okay. not even like concrete and poly. Mm. Until until just a few years ago, I, I helped him do that, which is another story, a nightmare. I was oh so bad. So, so are you? Bad. Is your bottom plate that's resting on there? Is it like like is it plywood that's that's it's been cut out perfectly? In, in no, a, in a radius? no, because it's a uh, uh, no. It's it's it kind of cantilevers in a couple spots. Um, but imagine a sphere resting on a octagon or a pentagon or something like that is it half a sphere or does it actually it's like actually it's more than it's more it's more like i think it's five eighths i'd have to so I'd it actually does it. go out from the foundation it goes it starts like this and then you go all the way all the way up to the top Crazy. and then there's a cupola on the top and that's kind of like his hideout his little happy place a what? on the top he calls it a cupola a cupola uh, and i don't i don't i don't know <laughs> where that comes from but like it's like a chicken it's, cupola yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's like a crow's nest. It's almost like, it like is, a, yeah. yeah. And okay. that's this happy place. It's like you can, it's 360 degree view. Okay. And uh, it's just, how big is it up there? It's small. It's like uh, maybe, maybe eight feet around, around like eight feet in diameter. So, eight and how many floors? Diameter. So, three floors. There's main floor, uh, main floor, uh, so a bottom floor. Um, so, imagine like a walkout. It's similar. He's kind of set it up like a walkout. So base floor, base floor is walked out to the to the garden area, and there and the, on that floor is all the be, all the bedroom, most of the bedrooms. So there are one, two, three, three bedrooms and a bathroom, and then an open kind of open area. And then next floor is the kitchen, and then a master and an office and a bathroom. And the next floor up, it, so it gets smaller. So it's like yeah. it's like medium, big, small, really small. <laughs> so you really have to design, and, and it's super energy efficient. So when I when like mm. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it after, but I really dork out when it comes to energy efficiency and trying to build homes that are cost effective and energy efficient because it's hard to find both mm -hmm. because no one wants to pay for both. Yeah. They just want to pay for one. Yeah. Um, Where are the stairs? The stairs are uh, are circular coming up off from this from the bottom floor up, so they're like a spiral set, and then there he kind of did like a almost like a almost not oh. Um, the the step they're the second step are kind of pretty standard looking stairs. Are they in the center or are they off to the side? One's in the center and one's off the side. So the okay. the first floor up is a, is in right in the dead in center, the, and the other one's to the side. Is there any part of the house that's open right up to the top of the circle? Absolutely, and that's, and that's part of the design as well. So the kitchen itself, there's a great big huge window. It looks like a diamond when you look at it. It's a whole bunch of imagine all imagine all the triangles you have here, but. Yeah. Like on your design there, but there's a triangle at the top and there are triangles at the bottom and there are triangles that come down to like a cone, like a yeah. ice cream cone. Yeah. And that's their main window looking out. Yeah. Crazy. That's so cool. I'm just like, as you're talking, I'm like trying to build this in my head and think of where bearing is and how the stairwell opening. That's so, so crazy. So again, I don't want to take too much time. So the, <laughs> the rooms, are they, are they square and rectangular or do no. they have more circular shape? Everything is, is circular. Imagine mod, like like triangle modules and they have battens on them as well. So you've got <clears throat> the triangle and then you'll have a, 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 a batten on each one, a batten and then mm -hmm. a, and then a sort of a, a button on the battens to protect the buttons. So they're just drywalled triangles that have insulated, polyed and done, you know, mm -hmm. and then the, <clears throat> and then the air 
uh, flows through the whole house. So he's he's set the the flooring system away so air travels all the way through the house. He uses a tiny little heater, like a tiny tiny little heater to heat his house. And and if you have too many things running, like if you have the stove running and the dryer running and the, that little heater running, it's too much. They have to open up the windows in the cupola to cool the house because it's um, so they're cool. super duper energy efficient. Mm. He has a like an air exchanger system as well in it. And this is before I even knew any of this stuff existed. I didn't mm. understand what he was doing. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's so cool. I just knew that. I had to so carry you can't more put shakes. this kind of couch in there, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can. There are walls, and you build partition walls, and you build yeah, walls. Right. But your outer walls are either this or like this right. or that. Yeah. So it's a little oh, bit man. tricky. But imagine being in a cabin in Apex, and you don't get the really steep roofs. It's a similar yep. kind of. Okay. You just yep. have to design around it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That was a, mm. a fun tangent. Well. I gotta come over. You gotta take us yeah. for a tour. <laughs> sure. So cool. Uh, and your parents are still there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just, in fact, I just finished. So the the pine shakes had lasted for thirty years. So it's, I'm giving away my age there, because I was the one that humped all the shakes too. My dad. There you go, Dad. More shakes. Anyway, so he's like, I need to replace this roof. So I replaced. I took a, a few weeks off of work, yeah. and um, and redid the roof all the way around the whole what thing, did you the use? whole top just shingles just shingles and it was hard it was way harder than i thought it was going to be um because i'm older for one yeah. but also just kind of getting your head wrapped around it like he has the brain for it so he can be like and but it's hard to explain to someone how yeah. to do it yeah and it took me to about probably the halfway through it to be like oh, i get it now mm. and you just it's how you overlap things it's how you you just have to always be thinking positive lap and you can't think like you're building a square box because you're not right. it's not even in there's there's kind of like ridge cap on all the triangle intersections and stuff too. Is uh, that true? Uh, no. So 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 each for each window is a skylight, so you have to flash it like a skylight. Yeah. And then the uh, each sort of ridge, you just you just I felt it over. I went old school and did mm -hmm. felt over top, okay. and then and then tar shingled over that, and and um, everything so far so good. Crazy. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> let's leave that for now. Um, so anyway, you grew up in that crazy golf ball house. Yep. Um, graduated here and what did you do like what was uh, what were you into where did you go what happened then so as a typical young man being young and foolish I I I, uh, I did all sorts of odd jobs and and like most young people wanted to go to university um, uh, went to UVic for one year realized that I can't sit uh, for long enough I don't have that in my body sit long mm -hmm. enough so I did I and then I took off to Europe for a bit and then came back and then I, so I, spent, I think I spent another year in the Okanagan doing construction work for my dad. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. This sucks. This is hard. It's the weather. I remember doing a roof in the middle of summer, a tin roof in the middle of summer and like getting to the top of a roof, of a tin roof. And, and, and like after you had just watered your, your shirt and being soaking wet, and by the time you get to the top of the roof, you're already dry. And then now you're sweating again. And yeah. so you, you, the, the struggles tied to being a young, a young man doing that. So I was like, I, I got to get out of here. And that's mid late nineties. So that would be late nineties. That would have been late nineties. So I did, and I did a bunch of other odd jobs. I did some forestry work. I did hack and squirt. I did, I did um, firefighting. Like what did a, you say? Forestry. Hack, yeah, forestry work like hack and squirt. So hack and squirt. mountain pine beetle. There was a mountain pine beetle that oh, was okay. rampant through here that they tried to take care of. We used to do this um, glow on thing where you'd put this basic arsenic in the tree, and as the as the tree had its sap pull up, it would kill the mountain pine beetle. And that was called what? The practice they, of that? They called, called it hack and squirt. Is what hack they called and it. Squirt. Yeah, hack and squirt. Okay. So, and, the, and there's only like six weeks of the year that you can do it. 
was a it was a good job. But I I worked at I worked at uh, Mission Hill for a short period of time as well. Winery, yeah. And then um, yeah, and then I moved to Vancouver. Chased you know followed a girl. Okay. Um, moved to Vancouver. Worked at Molson's Brewery for a bit, and realized I just can't do factory work. I'm not a factory guy. Just, um, so when I got laid off, I took a I took a, a course like one of those courses where when you get laid off you're allowed to take these courses and it was a film course because i had known i'd met people that had done film work and i thought oh that's so cool hmm. didn't make it through the course um because i got hired right away okay so i got hired right away and i started working for um, a warehouse like a, a lighting company and then i got started and then from the warehouse company you know it's very similar to construction trades where there you know lots of people like to live the life and so one guy didn't make it into work today, the day, whatever day it was. And mm -hmm. I got to jump on a truck and work on a commercial. They liked me and kept me and off I went. So what do you mean? You work, jump on a truck, work on a commercial. So, so <clears throat> in the film business, they have uh, uh, different rental companies would have, would, would send out a package with all the equipment on it. And so you'd be called, they called it a track, uh, a package truck manager. So they would send you off with the truck and you would you would uh, you would just you would mark down all of the gear that they would take off the truck, and then they would charge accordingly. Okay. So we'd be running a generator. They'd be like different lights, different cables, different blah blah blah, all that stuff. Different. They pulled off different gel, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Because um, commercials are a little bit more. They're just tighter, right? Like smaller crew. Okay. Uh, kind of a tighter package. Not a big. You're not going to have a massive circus show up. Okay. So um, and when you do it, like some package truck guys sat on the truck. Here you go. Some guys got into it and wanted to learn. And I was one of those guys. So mm. I got into it and wanted to learn. And and um, I got hired on and they would ask for you and off I went. Okay. So mm. you did um, commercials? I did commercials to, be, yeah, to begin with. with. That's what I started with. And then I started with, uh, I did some non-union work. And, um, and, then, and then I started with one union and started doing episodic work. Mm. Yeah, I did, a, I did a show called First Wave. And, um, so you say you did a show, so, so what would you actually do? So I did, so I started off as a, as a lighting technician and, and everyone does you start off as a lighting technician typically. And then I got operated to, um, best boy, which is called, and I worked on a series called cold squad. It was a Canadian series, uh, crime series. Hmm. And then, um, so are you in the credits as, what'd you say? Best boy, best boy or <laughs> assistant life. I prefer assistant light, uh, chief lighting technician. I like the best boy. But best boy, <laughs> best boy. New nickname. Yeah, exactly. Boy. Okay. So best boy. And, best then, boy. and yep. And then you worked up from, from that to what? Uh, then I worked up to chief lighting technician. Uh, but, but that was in the non-union world. And mm -hmm. then I went back to best boy again. And then I did some, uh, gaffing afterwards. So gaffer or chief lighting technician is the other one. And then I did uh, a tiny bit of camera work as well. Mm -hmm. Worked on, yeah, I, I mainly did episodic. And then and then in between the episodic, I, I worked with a lot of people that are super into working, like a lot. We, I worked mm -hmm. 11 and a half months a year. Like as much as you're allowed to work, we worked. Mm -hmm. So we, and we sometimes we'd overlap shows. We'd be so yep. busy. And that's where I learned how to, how to step it up and become chief lighting technician. Because my boss would be like, you got to wrap this up. I'm going to go start the other one. Mm -hmm. Or you need to start this one. I'm going to go do, do this. Yeah. And Wrap so what up. kind of like, obviously now we're in the age of LED and all these different things. When you were doing that, I'm assuming like the lighting show was pretty different. Is that like? 
I think, yeah. So I, I still have my membership and I still, I still uh, have my uh, FSR card and like a FE card and what have you. Um, so I, I try and keep up to date as okay. much as I can just by yeah. reading about it and what mm -hmm. have you. But yeah, they use a lot more LEDs now for sure. And it, like it, lots more uh, digital work. When I was working, it was still using film. Mm -hmm. No one uses film oh, anymore. Right. 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 Like, like everything's, everything, yeah, we still like, you're still changing roles and waiting for, you know, but uh, yeah, so we use mainly tungsten films, like tung or tungsten um, uh, tungsten lights mm. and um, HMIs as well. So and so, you kind of got good at that just by being on set and understanding how light works and what the director wanted and what the scene called for and where like that's that it was that kind of more your role or more did you oversee people and making sure that everything was moving smoothly? So the the chief lighting technician or the gaffer is right by the camera typically. Okay. And they're the ones that's working with the director of photography, setting up the scenes. Okay. The best boy is the guy running around with the hair on fire in the background, making it all happen, making mm -hmm. all of the work happen, make sure the workers are where they should be, make yeah. sure that all the stuff is ordered well ahead of time. So the kind of the management of that particular department, okay. uh, they fill out all the timesheets. They make sure that all of the, um, I did for, it, it depends on the setup you have with the gaffer. Um, I did a lot of the invoicing for my, for my bosses because they're, they're stuck on set. Sure. Mm -hmm. Make sure that they're fed because they're miserable if they're not fed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like just simple things. I mean, you're working long hours. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we used to call it Fratterday because you start on <laughs> a, a you start story. you would start on Monday at five o'clock, and we have to get our ten hours turnaround. So if you do a fourteen hour day or or a sixteen hour day, the day keeps on getting pushed along. So by the time you get to Friday, it's a four o'clock start. Well, you don't finish until Fratterday. That's a great term. And it's like, and the birds are chirping and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So amidst that too, like, I, I just, I have no idea about this world, but I mean, if you're, you think of like big budget movies and shows and you have directors and actors and like, I would assume there's some entitled, intense people Absolutely. that you're dealing with. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's lots of normal people too. And you, you get both, you get the best of both worlds. You know, mm -hmm. there are some... And there are some performers that are great and someone that would sit with you and, 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 and tell you stories and laugh with you. And there are others that sit in there, you know, hide away. And, and, and it's, and it's, it's how they work their craft, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, my preference is always the ones that would sit and shoot the breeze with you. Yeah. Okay. So would you be willing to drop any names? Like who are, who are a handful of people that you've worked with that would be notable that we might know? So I worked on a show called Dark Angel with uh, Jessica Alba. Mm -hmm. um, I was the best boy on the on the second season of that mm -hmm. particular show, and I worked. And James Cameron directed the last episode. Hmm. That's pretty sweet. intense. That dude is super duper intense. I, I Very another, talented. Super intense. I have another guest that we're going to be having before too long, who's worked a bit with James Cameron, mm -hmm. and he's got some intense stories too. Like that's yeah. incredible. But anyway, yeah. Well, and and that's it's a hot kitchen. It's a really mm -hmm. hot kitchen, and. Uh, the, the film business in general is a hot kitchen because there's so much money involved and there's so many people involved and it, it's like, uh, they, they call it hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And so for like 15 minutes, it's sheer terror because everything has to go perfectly <laughs> when it's your turn. Yeah. Right. And then you wait. Super unforgiving. You, it's super unforgiving. And you go to the how come room. If you like, <laughs> there's a production manager. How come? 
right? Like so why? 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 So if yeah. you get put on the if you get put on the report that you know lighting blah 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 or camera blah blah blah, then you go to the how come room and you have to explain you know Shoot. why did this take? Why did something that should have taken five minutes take half an hour? Yeah. Well, 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 well. So you <laughs> have to hilarious. be prepared and you have to have all of the things at your fingertips so if you ever are around a film person they seem a little bit like kind of um demanding and edgy it's because that's what they're used to right, right? that's intense and they would ask for like like some dps director of photographies would ask for just as obscure as possible most obscure things something made in a hut somewhere far far on the other side of the earth you have to find it and it has to be here by Tuesday. Hmm. Yep. But it's Friday and a long weekend. Somehow you have to make that hmm. happen. I know uh, the guy, again, Justin Weeb, he was, I think it was his neighbor down, just, just down the road here. That was his job. He worked for a film and he basically had like, you know, a warehouse full of just the most random mm-hmm. eclectic stuff, you know, so that when someone's like, I need that piece, that pottery or whatever, or if they didn't have it, it was his job to drive across who knows how long to find that specific piece. Yep. And, and that was like his full-time job. And he loved it. He would just go and... He's the know, guy. He's the guy that he's gets guy. you all yeah. the stuff to... I know a guy. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's the guy. He's the guy. And, and there's always the guy, right? There, yeah. in, in Vancouver, there, there were a couple guys that you had to be getting good with. And you had to know. Like right. there was one, John Booth, he worked at White's. And he knew everything. He knew everything about lighting that like if you could if you needed to find like an odd thing lighting wise he'd be fine or another guy uh, another wild guy super wild guy was dennis dennis jones who's a a reagan gaffer forever and he it could be three o'clock in the morning he'd call him he'd still be awake and he would still answer his phone which maybe is not a good thing but but he would he would he would always say hey mo what do you want and i'd say i need this thing he's like oh i got one in a warehouse over here i'll go get it It'd be three o'clock and i'm like what do you it's friday what do you what do you it's like i'll get it for you <laughs> and he was sorted out like it, so it was about creating relationships with these people as well right like if you weren't good with them you're done you're yeah what's the like i always wondered like what's the pay scale like how does it trickle down like obviously like it comes from you know the basically the the movie company ownership but like all this money comes in from wherever then the actors get a huge chunk then the director and then like where is lighting on the scale of that and and like what's what's is it a good job is it a high paying thing or i mean how does it work it's similar to kind of like the oil industry in that um the pay per hour is pretty reasonable yeah but it's not the pay per hour it's the hours and it's the overtime and everything else so in the union world it's 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 it changes depending on the budget of the show. And that's how the union contracts are set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the non-union world, it's, it's a flat rate and it's hard. It's tough. You have yeah. to love what you're doing. And and I did a lot of weekend work. Um, they called it, uh, I can't remember what they called it, but we used to call it work for free, you dumb. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, where they would say that they're going to pay you later. Yeah. But they never do. But you just do it for the love of it, or you do it to upgrade and become better at something. Sure. So if you don't want to be a, a lamp hop, you want to become a best boy, then you become a best boy on an independent or something like that. Right. You will want to become a gaffer, then you go from a best boy. If you want to become a director of photography, and that's what I did towards the end is I, I wanted to try and shoot things, so I got flown to the Turks and Caicos and did a rap video, and and I did um, you know some short films, but uh, 
it's taxing. It's a hard, it's a young, it's, I wouldn't say it's a young person's life. It's, you really have to be a particular person to be able to live it and handle it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that came to an end at some point you decided that was enough of that and you're going to make yeah. a change. So why and how did that happen? Um, I, I looked around at the people I was working with and I always wanted to have a family and my wife and I were traveling with family and, um, and we lost, uh, we lost a baby at 24 weeks, mm. which was hard. Um, and it kind of clicked. It was like, uh, I need to be somewhere else. I need to start fresh. So, um, and I was already kind of thinking of other things. So I talked to a friend in the Okanagan. He's like, I've got a great job for you. You could work in finance with me. You could do, you could do mutual fund and, and, um, help advise. He said, just take these courses, these, these financial advisors, just take these courses and you'll be good to go. I was like, okay, I'm going to help people. I'm going to do finance. As soon as I got here, he said, I got a, they, they have a book for you. You can start with a, a group of people that you can, or a group of people that are your clients to start with. I showed up, there was no book. It was, and it was eight hours of in a fluorescent office. Hmm. And I did 16 hours, 18 hours. I did, I did one shift. I did two back-to-back shifts where I was late. It was 36, I think it was 30, 34 or 36 hours by the time I actually fell asleep. And I loved that more, or I hated the office more than mm. seven and a half hours in under the fluorescent lights. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wired for it. I did it for four months. I told myself, I'm going to do this for at least six months. I need to do this for a year. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I couldn't do it. Mm. I couldn't do it. I just wasn't wired for it. Okay. So that came to an end. You couldn't handle that. So then you transitioned. So, into... yeah. So we, so we moved from Vancouver. I guess that would have been the spring. So we, time out the, when you went to Vancouver chasing a girl. Oh, that, so, oh yeah. That so wife? that all fell apart. That fell oh, apart. Right? Di- okay, it was a whole different... disaster. Okay. And then, and then, and then I met my wife, Emily. Okay. Um, I met my wife, Emily. We married in 2002. And we did, you know, we renovated our house and we did all the things that we did. And, and, uh, she was going to school. So it was perfect that I was working in the film business. And that was part of the move as well as, is we, we not only wanted to have a child, but I actually wanted to be a father mm. and it's really hard to be a father in the film business, mm. like to be a, their father, like someone who takes your kids to the evening boxing class or, or to, uh, be not tired and go skiing with them yeah. or whatever the case may be. And Kudos to those dads that can do it in the film business. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a few, there were a few, but most of the guys that I worked with were divorced. Yeah. Like I'd say 90 plus percent yeah. were divorced. And I love my wife and I want to stay with her and I, and I wanted to make it work. So we were, and she came kicking and screaming. She hated the idea of coming to the Okanagan. Really? Yeah. She says it's dirty. It's, it's like gray. It's dirty. It's, and you know what? So she grew up in the city, I'm assuming. So she's like, a, no, oh. she grew up in Armstrong. She, oh, really? She grew up in Armstrong and then she moved to the city. Um, and then she went back, graduated in Armstrong and then she moved to the city and stayed in the city. And that's how we met. We became chumps. We were like buddies. Yeah. I remember I was, um, my girlfriend at the time, this is convoluted, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, we met, I met her when she was very young and I ended up driving her to, uh, Vancouver to move back to Vancouver. Uh, she had a jewelry business at the time. She was pretty talented at that. Um, anyway, uh, we moved back. We moved back. She's kicking and screaming. 
and six months because i said i lasted four months in the, yeah, yeah. i was mm-hmm. like did we make a mistake should we should we go back and she's like no i'm not i'm not moving back this is great i like it here mm. and she felt at peace and then she went to and then she went to ubc finished up her schooling and became a teacher okay so then you got to find something else that's not yeah, and life out of you. when I left the Okanagan, I was like, these are the things. I don't want to move back to the Okanagan. I don't want to ever do construction again. I don't want anything to do with it ever again. I want nothing to do with construction. And what do I do? The first thing I did when I was doing the finance stuff was walk around and who do I know? I know construction people. So I talked to construction people. Hey, you want to buy uh, mutual funds and life insurance? <laughs> what do they look at me like? No. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that? What's exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's what I would have been yeah. like. The worst was when I walked in. I remember walking up to this house, Summerland, just down the road from here, knocking on the door, and the husband opens up the door, and he looks at me. He's like, "Oh, insurance guy's here," <laughs> and I said, "Oh, you're that guy. I'm that guy. I don't want to be that." And you know, it's a hard job, and it's important. It's really important to have all that stuff. But it was really hard for me to sell it to people, mm-hmm. and. And, and uh, even though it's a necessity, it is yeah, a necessity. And you do it because like you said earlier, you want to help people, Yeah, you know, but then when you see that body language and that thing like, oh, you're that guy, you're like, yeah. oh, that's yeah. not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be helpful and yeah. now I'm getting the look. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it just didn't work. For, it didn't work for me. My buddy is so good at it. He's really got the, he's, he's got it down. He is super successful at it. I was not, I failed. It was, it's, and it's okay to fail. It's, you learn. So, so after that guy shut you down. I was, that like, was, that was kind of, that was my moment. I was like, yeah. okay, I need to do something different. And, and I, I think that the, a lot of people fall off in that business. Mm. Um, 2008 is when uh, we moved here. 2008, we moved here. And then, um, yeah, I started, I started helping a buddy do a duplex. He, my, my buddy's a realtor, awesome, awesome guy. Can't finish anything. Mm. Started a duplex. He just had to do like, you know, it's that 1%. Yep. It's the hardest part of any job. That 1%, he couldn't get the 1% done. So I helped him wrap up and do the 1% on one of his duplex. And I we did okay on selling our house in Vancouver. So I was like, well, what do you want to do something? Hmm. So we ended up buying a couple. We bought a lot, split it, built another duplex. And that's kind of where we took off um, in the construction business. So that was your guys' like a partnership? It was a partnership. We did a few projects and this was in a, in a lean times. This is not like 2008, this. you said. So 2008, 2008, 2009, yeah. 2010. So the hard times, like really hard times to yeah, be doing that. That was the recession, right? That's when yeah. you started. Yeah. That's when I started. Yeah. Jeez. So I started in the recession. So, and you know, it's the best time to learn because you, you may as well learn when it's lean, mm-hmm. right? Learn how to yeah. deal with it, learn how to budget, learn how to, so we didn't make lots of money, but we didn't lose. Right. So we did okay. And we knew that we were building a reasonable product. And it was new and it was fresh for the Okanagan. I remember getting earful from different people as they walked by. Like, what are you doing selling that in this town? This town's not ready for that. Hmm. Um, and now the whole community that I was working in, this was on the Alexander kind of Churchill area. Hmm. Now it's all modern looking homes. And hmm. so you're kind of ahead of your times a little bit. We were a little bit ahead of our times, um, but uh, I wish I was building, yeah, five years later. Right. But <laughs> So then how long did you have that business? So we did, we did, a, we did, so we did a few duplexes and some renos, and then we built a few homes out of town. Um, and then, uh, and then I, then we kind of parted, we didn't like, it was amicable. We were just like, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do right now. We got nothing. There's nothing to buy, nothing. So um, I ended up 
um, building my own house. And while I was building my own house, I ended up doing a, a really, really large reno. Um, and you want to talk about learning curves. Mm-hmm. That was a massive learning curve for me. Because most of my renos I had dealt with before were handshake deals. Mm-hmm. First time in my life, I sat in front of someone and was like, I don't feel good about this. I don't think I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I turned the fellow down three times. Third time, he's welling up. My wife's going to leave me. I just don't want you to retire off of me. Okay. Lesson learned. I, it was the hardest lesson I think I've ever had to learn. I ended up working for free for six months and losing 75K because of, and it's my fault, mm-hmm. my own, my own fault and not knowing how to do business and not understanding. So it was a hard, hard, hard lesson okay. brought me to my knees. Like yeah. my wife thought for sure I was going to have a jammer, like, cause I would come home so stressed and we're still, and we're also in the middle of working on our house as well. Yeah. Kids. So we, we sort of, we pulled ourselves out of that, built our house. I need to find something to do. So I actually ended up going back and forth to film a little bit to, to, to prop up the mm. cash, kind of get us, get us back up and uh, uh, up uh, flush. And then uh, I got hired on to one of the local bigger companies in town mm. to do coordination. So uh, construction coordination. Mm. So I would worked under a project manager and, and I did, um, we, you know, we had 15, 16 jobs all throughout the valley. Hmm. So I was, I ran around like a hellish chicken and it was perfect for me. Uh, the company wasn't perfect for me, great company, mm-hmm. but that company wasn't perfect for me. But the job was perfect for me because my hair was on fire, just like it was in the film business. Mm-hmm. And I got to kind of have free reign to organize everything and organize chaos is where that's my happiest place. The <laughs> so more funny. mess, like, like, and everyone's brain is different, right? Like, yeah. like, um, uh, yeah, I, I have, I think similar to an ADD brain. So mm-hmm. my kind of, it kind of wanders all over the place and busy, busy, busy. And I'm always thinking of different things at different times. So it was perfect for me. And it, and so we were all the way down to Soyuz, Karameas, Kostin, um, Penticton, Summerland, Naramata, all at the same time. And there was commercial jobs and it was, and it was houses as well, renovations. It was everything. We should, they called it special projects. Hmm. Um, Cause it was a bigger company. It was kind of like a, uh, sort of a side thing on mm-hmm. uh, on um, on it with a bigger company. This company works up north. They do big jobs up north, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like kind of filler work for them or to keep their face local. Yep, but uh, good company. I still I still uh, I'm still um, still talk to the owner on a regular basis. I did that for a year and then or just shy of a year, and I got headhunted. My buddy John was one of the sales guys uh, for the company I work for with you. Okay, and they sat me down. And they're like, we've got a job for you. I was like, okay, great. This sounds great. And I, this is what I was sold, just so you're clear on what I was sold. This is a 40-hour-a-week uh, job. So if you want to do renos or anything on the side, no problem. Okay. <laughs> First week, 65 hours. <laughs> Second week, 70 hours. Oh, like, how was your previous, the, the year you spent with the other company? What was your time? Because you, you, you're trying to invest in family and not be yeah, run off your feet too much. It was, well, it sure was better than film. I came home every night. Okay. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't traveling. I came home every night. Um, so it was, it was probably about 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I tried to trim it back to, um, which was hard, right? Yeah. Because um, the people involved with the company that I, that I work with now and that, that I started working with, 
they're intense and they, they, yep. they love what they do and they're passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. Again, my, my interactions with you when you came on and, and we're heading things up, it was a, I would say it was a breath of fresh air in the sense that you brought like great organization and calm to what was at times a volatile, intense situation. And when you came on too, I mean, the, the, the operation wasn't huge yet. Yeah. Um, like there, there was, I think we were the only framers for the first year and a half. Yeah. Something like that. And then by the time that it was ramped up to full pace, what was there like five different framing crews at times? I think we had, and, think we had six or seven different framing crews. Uh, like our maximum, I think we had almost six or seven framing crews, depending on. And like a uh, hundred trains people on easily, site at times? Easily, yeah. Because I, mean, I know there was times where I had, you know, my hands in like as many as seven houses at once yep. at different stages. And there's like other companies doing doing a few. And in the midst of that crazy, I remember always thinking like, you were, you never lost your cool. As much as I could see there was intensity behind yeah. your eyes and you're trying to keep everything all smooth. Uh, but now hearing, you know, your background and what it meant to do lighting for ridiculous hours for super demanding people and then dealing with the subdivision and, uh, and the seniority that you worked under and their demands, um, like you managed that so well. So that kind of gives some insight as to how that, those skills you developed, you know, earlier on in Vancouver days. I felt at home. Like, uh, like with, uh, so the two, the two fellas that were in the office, uh, and, and working on site as well, um, were, you know, like I said, it's a hot kitchen, similar to film business, hot kitchen. I kind of embraced it. I kind of was like, these are my people. Like <laughs> I maybe not, I don't use the same language as them, yeah. but, but they, uh, but, but, uh, I get it. I get it. And, 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 uh, their passion is, I think it took me some time. But their passion is what kept me on, uh, especially the project mm-hmm. manager's passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and passion, once we kind of figured out, figured each other out, mm-hmm. it, sure, it, it, everything got so much better. And, mm-hmm. and, um, well, help too. The project manager was like sharp as a tack. Yeah, knew what he wanted. Very black and white. Yeah. I mean, I remember times where he would he would take walks through the subdivision, and all the tradespeople would see him walking down. Like, everything better be. Yeah as it should be, or you're getting an earful in front of everybody. Yep. Um, like it was a, he was an intimidating, scary guy. And I know he, I, I would say he, at times, I felt like he would try to bully me a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, no, I, I'm, I know when and how to say no and have good conversations. So we developed a good respectful relationship, but he pushed hard and oh, if he yeah. could get more out of you, he would take it. Absolutely. Um, and at the same time too, given your background, like we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, off camera was that there was things that you would also challenge me and like, can you do X, Y, and Z? Because like, where are the boundaries of what we can do, what we can get done? And there was yep. times I'd have to tell you no. Yep. And there's times I'd be like, well, let's see if I shift this, that, and the other thing and go, yeah, we can make that happen. Cause you're trying to close deals. We're trying to get people yep. into houses. We, you're trying to stack up all the sub trades. I mean, the nicer thing too, about a big subdivision like that too, and you've got all these different tradespeople on site all the time, you can pull them off of jobs uh, versus you know an individual isolated build where one tradesman drops the ball and screws up the schedule for Absolutely. the whole project. Yeah. So that's one nice thing about a bigger subdivision. You, know, you can bounce people around and yeah. people are no farther than you know half a kilometer away. Yeah, your critical path is softer. So like uh, when we're when we're kind of creating a plan, there's a critical path. You can't 
you can't uh, drywall until you've insulated. You can't do do something until you get an inspection or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But having them at your fingertips made it made a huge difference. It made yeah. the lo- things a lot easier. And having the relationships with them makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Because if yeah. you don't have the relationship with <clears throat> the subtrades, and if you don't, if you can't find a common ground with them, you're done. Mm-hmm. It was it was also I would say like a pretty premium ideal kind of petri dish scenario in that as we were working on efficiencies with the homes, trying to figure out ways to to work through the step code that having all those tradespeople all in the same area as we're trying to develop new methods and techniques for how to create more efficient houses we could have we could have meetings on site regularly like okay this house we're gonna try and implement this air barrier in this way and we're blocking here okay heating guy this is something you've been doing can't do this anymore we're gonna spray for me we're gonna sheet this like that was that was a huge evolution through that that project and we were able to do it economically that way as well and i think that's the hard part that people are really struggling with the step code because they don't have that opportunity to have all the trades around all at the same time and i would continuously drag my three main subs in you would be ahead of time so you would already have the coles notes version of what i needed to have done but then i bring my three my three subs that are going to make a mess of everything and wreck all my stuff and i bring them together and explain to them and then we would map out where we're going to go how we're going to do it and yeah. you can't it's harder to do that if you're custom off in Naramata or off in the stick somewhere yeah. because you, you're going to drag all three of them they all have to be there mm-hmm. and they all have to be paying attention good luck yeah good luck so what did just, you sorry you go ahead just really quickly in regards just so people can who are watching and listening understand um in our location in our region in regards to the step code mm-hmm. just briefly what does that look like because we've gone from basically from one to step five is kind of the correct yeah so you're uh one to step five in it and one is basically you're just testing the house to see um where it leaks where it leaks so there's an air test um but there's more to it than that there's there's a mechanical side to it and what have you um and then as you work your way up we're at step three right now we have to all our houses need to meet step three in penticton mm-hmm. um which means that they have to meet a certain efficiency air exchange they have to have a certain uh type of furnace in it to make sure that it meets the standards mm-hmm. um and then as you work way, your way up to step four and step five um, it becomes net zero real or net zero ready anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the code is constantly changing, constantly, mm-hmm. constantly. When changing. is it supposed to get to step five? When is, is that, is that, I don't know. It's coming up. It, it's coming up soon that that BC wants to mandate step five. Sure. It's going to be hard. It's going to yeah. be hard for lots of it. For us, we've been a, uh, ahead of the curve the whole time. And that's tied to the PM, like the, the PM on our job site, he is like, I dork out on the, 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 um, building science but mm-hmm. he takes it to the next level and he downloads a lot of information on me and my job is to figure out how to do it mm-hmm. effectively and so it's not going to cost us more money because as the owner of the company is like i don't care what you do just don't don't cost me any more money mm. yeah so we, that's our goal that's our goal so we do mm. it with rebates we do it with efficiencies we do it with and so having a lot of sub trades on site allows us to work out all the kinks and, mm-hmm. and and work on the efficiencies yeah well i know there was there was builders in the area that were going to the point of like doing exterior insulation mm-hmm. on houses all these all these practices that would um basically satisfy the code requirement but in really expensive slow potentially slow ways that were difficult to do yeah and through that development we found all other kinds of ways to satisfy the code 
yeah. with very, very simple design changes. Um, and again, like you say, those, those, your three main subs that if, is provided, they all played nice yeah. and looked out for one another. You could get those efficiencies out of fairly basic building practices that weren't that different, but you got huge efficiency out of them. Yeah. And it helps with the modeling. So we've got a great, a great guy uh, at Kelowna that does our modeling for us. And he works with us. Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's important too. Yeah. So the PM deals with the modeler. The modeler uh, also I'll talks. I'll talk to the modeler as well. We'll figure out what's what's going to work and what's not going to work, and then we test it. And because you do the door test, the 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 air test, it's you really prove whether or not you did the job or not. Mm -hmm. Like there's no there's no hiding it. Mm -hmm. If you mess so, it up, you mess it up. So in that regard, I, I want to give me give me one story an example of where you put this whole system in place and one sub trade totally botched it, you know, where they like, they hacked poly apart or they did something that you found after the fact, like, Oh, this is why our blower test was complete trash because yep. somebody chopped. What, what's the, the bump, it would mind? be a bump out. I've, I've seen it a number of times now. Yep. And so I check every time it was a bump out by a bathroom behind a tub. It's like a free space. You can't see. It's hidden. They did it after the fact. It was an AC line that they, because we don't put our AC lines in Canada because uh, in the wintertime, we'll, we'll, we'll typically, we'll prep a line set out. So, but we don't, we sometimes we'll be further along because we don't think about the AC until the spring. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in the building process that gets slipped or missed or they, they or, or we didn't core hole where we should have cored it or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, in a couple of cages, they've blown through a bump out or any sort of hidden wall. And then and then all of a sudden, my air test is blown out of the water. Yeah. We did really well, though. Like, mm -hmm. considering how many homes we did, we are always, like, step three and step four. Very rarely yeah. were we any lower than that. Mm -hmm. um, and our exchanges, like, the PM mapped out everything, absolutely everything from top to bottom. And so we could see we could see the where we were mm -hmm. and, and what we did different and how we change things and we had to be and we had to really be innovative with how we did it because we were not doing the prescribed way of building we were doing it mm -hmm. the modeled way of doing it so we really had to create it something that would work for us yeah yeah that that um collaborative approach to those things too throughout the building process is, is so so crucial um in not just the efficiency of a home, but just in the efficiency of the building of the home. So, you know, like for me, for instance, I, I always got involved um, in great depth with engineer before yeah. we start the building, uh, with the floor designer, with the trust company, yeah. to try and make sure there's harmony throughout the whole process. Because I think, as a, you know, from a framing standpoint, um, what is super, super common to, to witness is the framer shows up, expects everything to be all ready, and then just bitches and moans when whatever doesn't show up, there wasn't enough studs, the joist was done wrong, it was a yeah. design, and they just they just criticize everybody else. So when you can be proactive and make those design changes at the planning stage, you know, you put yourself so much farther ahead. So again, you know, the PM on the job who's so super strategic about the entire process mm -hmm. and then imparts that responsibility to you to actually get all the appropriate people playing nice together yeah, and you're, you're setting up for the benefit of the people around you. Um, it makes a hard job so much more enjoyable. And then you end up playing nice and there's actually mutual respect and a good working environment. Like it, it, it pays huge dividends 
and like literally in the end. Yeah, it's important when when uh, one of the things I I promoted a lot when especially when we have our safety meetings with and Aaron groans, oh safety meeting. But it was good to bring all the sub trades in together, not just for the safety meeting or the manager's management meeting, but so everyone can look around the circle and look at who, and I would say this on a regular basis to people, look at the person to the left, look at the person to the right. So when you leave a huge pigsty behind, or if you cut through his joy system, or if you, whatever the case may be, look at that person. That's who you're screwing over. <laughs> That's the person you're screwing over. Look at them yep. and understand that it's not nobody, it's somebody. Mm -hmm. So clean up after yourself. So respect the next sub trade. You know what we walk, you know what the expectation is. So do what you said you're going to do. I'm curious to know, like between you guys, I mean, obviously I, I built and stuff like that, but I wasn't really around long to understand what trades, like I, obviously I saw certain people destroy some of the work we do and then you have to come back. But what were the trades, like what would, a, like, like say your guy, like someone who's framing, yep. what would people be annoyed that you would do and then vice versa? What are the things that they would come in and destroy that you'd have to go in? Like, because I'm sure there's all kinds of that stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, from the framing standpoint, you know, we'd get, we'd get all the sub trades just totally livid about our point loads. Point loads that are in their way. Yeah, I'm like, this is the structure. There's no, yeah. this is where these have to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I can't then you help get, you. yeah, yeah, and then you get some of those guys like, I don't care. I'm not asking. I'm just cutting holes. Yeah, and they chop stuff apart. Um, yeah, I, that's I a bearing that, wall. Thank you very much. Yeah. We got to redo this now. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is too, like there's a time and a place where you can cut an obscenely large hole in a very strategic place that looks yeah. insane. Um, and people would look at it like, that's totally been haggard. No, that's, that's structurally designed to function that way. It's completely fine. But you won't know that unless you ask. And yeah. you can't apply the process from a different job to your current job because it was okay in that situation. This situation may be different. So I was always like, before you chop holes in things, come and find me. I'm on site. And that was what drove me the most nuts is that they would without asking, make an assumption that now I've got to actually double up Joyce through a whole living area because they've, they've yeah. chopped through, they've made holes too big, too close to a bearing point, and the whole floor now is structurally uh, hacked apart. And we had tin bashers at times chop apart bearing walls. And like, there's virtually nothing holding this up. Like, do you realize yeah. now that this wall is the center span of these joists. If this <laughs> fails, people will die. This this floor will collapse. Like yeah. this isn't like this is a failure. Of, yeah, this is major major danger issue. <clears throat> I used to. So I used to have. A, I had a really tough boss. I loved him. Awesome boss. And his line used to be. And this is back in the back in the film business. I thought. I I I, th I don't want you to think. Your job isn't to think. Your job is to know. And if you don't know then ask. So don't think. There's no I thought. It's I know. So if you know, then you know. Yeah. Hmm. But he was, and he, he was a tough, he was tough, imposing, imposing man. So you kind of like drilled it into your head. You got like, mm -hmm. okay, I got this. So I need to know. And I, same thing, I would say, ask. And if I don't have the answer, and I don't always have the answer, mm -hmm. I'll find out for you. Yeah. Yep. Let's, and and do, don't hide it. Please, please, please don't hide it because eventually I'm going to find it. Or worse, the client's going to find out. Yeah, yeah. And then we all look like a bunch of buffoons. Yeah. Well, I think of a couple of the houses that, that guys um, sheeted incorrectly. And then we're in there chopping apart floors and putting backing and gluing yeah. stuff. Like, And some of those were after there was some flooring. And like there was some, yeah. some messes made 
where people again tried to hide stuff, fly under <laughs> the radar, not ask questions. But I think the worst was when that we had to tear that. We actually had to. We had I, 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 young framers, really, really green, wet behind the ears, so wet behind the ears, and they we had frost walls inside, and they they were bearing on the frost walls. You remember that because you were the one that had to tear it apart. It was Joe, didn't Joe get to do it, and he got to keep Joe all the wood? <laughs> yeah, we so basically yeah we we it was luckily it was a small structure, but we had to tear the whole house apart and redo yeah. it because I remember you just like I, I can't I can't fix this. There's yeah. no way I can actually fix this chair. So it got passed to me from you guys yeah. once that crew was booted. And I yeah. had been building houses right across the street, watching these three guys. They, The way they built like this, we're going to be fixing that. Yeah. We're going to be over there. I could see it coming. And on top of that too, one thing that stuck out to me is the nails they went through. Yeah, They used coil nailers and they were so trigger happy. It was insane. So I remember the senior, senior officer on site, PM, um, it hurt him so much to when I had to tell like this yeah. is if I'm going to take this on this is what I have to do yeah and he had to swallow her, like just fix it like just do okay. it just do it That's so basically the, the stage of the job was there's a foundation the entire basement was framed there's a floor system on and exterior walls correct yeah first floor yeah and I I went and grabbed my laser and I'm like I know I'm gonna find and I set it on the floor inside and I I shot my laser beam across the floor and it should have been three inches all the way across at the edge it was three in the center it was like one and a half and then it was three again at the other side so the center of the floor system is got this huge hump in it yeah and you go in the basement and they just gang cut all the yep. studs for every interior wall and then it's just going to be wherever the slab is and they didn't actually check their wall heights so all the interior walls are high everything's bearing on that the floor system isn't even really touching the foundation correct if we put trusses on they're going to bear on interior walls and be hovering over exteriors <laughs> so we ended up um knocking down all the exterior walls up top and then gutting the basement down to the bearing walls cutting the bearing walls down so the joists would sit down and the deal was disassembly from us was free because my guy joe did it yeah with the trade-off that he could take all the lumber Perfect. On the That's weekends, great. right? Wasn't that like a weekend? After work, like on weekends. Just, yeah, we had to, yeah, it had to be done in a reasonable amount of time. I yeah. remember that house. I remember just sitting on the on the side of the road looking and seeing it daylight. Yeah. Like the plate yeah. daylight. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to be that way. Because <laughs> oh didn't goodness. Joe end up doing, oh. he took like so long, but again, all the nails, because you said they were trigger happy. It oh, was just whole nails is, is insane. But then he used all that wood to do ridiculous things at his place. Like oh I just goodness. wish we could take a camera into what Joe created. It was insane. Like, of all that. One of the things he did, this is nuts, in his basement of his house, this old house that he renovated, he pulled down all the ceilings, got it all exposed. So it was just the two by 10, two by 10 uh, joists and the sheeting on top. Yeah. He's like, I want to have this all kind of industrial, cool looking floor um, and leave all the mechanical stuff exposed. And to make it look nice, I want it to look like it's like stacked two by sixes on edge on top, like a bowling alley. So yep. underneath, I'm going to take all this two by six I tore out of this house. Yep. I'm going to rip them into half inch little pieces and put them sideways across between every single joist and glue and pin nail them wow. on. So you go into his basement and it's just like all the, the two by tens on edge with inch and a half strips. It's insane. It's incredible. And That's it looks so cool. mint. Like, yeah. I don't it doubt it. Yeah. Painted it all white oh, and like it, it just looks... And it looks so cool. So crazy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that that was that was such a mess. Again, that's what I saw coming. And then we had to, to yeah, get that thing all reframed and deal with the squares, all the rest of it. But uh that was that was one heck of a mess. Mm. That was a I problem. One. one thing for sure that is you talk about Joey. You you had a lot of um uh, neat people that you hired. Mm. Like not all were 
um, top but tier, top tier, but, <laughs> but you know, but, they, but you know, they only, they only lasted as long as they lasted, yeah. but uh, there's some neat people that you, uh, that you hired, which I thought was pretty cool. And I, I fostered some of those relationships like, like, uh, it, with, with some of the fellows. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a, a great time. Um, a good season that towards the end was kind of a weird time to kind of be phasing out yeah. and getting into this. Um, and I know there was, that was a little bit of stress, you know, for you to deal with and with the PM to be like, yeah. you know, Luke's not here all the time anymore. It made a huge difference. Yeah. It, it makes it like, cause no one loves your company more than you. Yeah. And no one takes care of your company more than you. Yeah. And, and you're the man that's it's, it's, and it's, I'd say all company. I was just talking to my mechanical guy about that mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, and I said, you can't take it personally. Mm-hmm. You can't take it personally that no one loves your company as much as you, but you just have to, work with it and 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 uh i think you still be great like yeah. it's it's hard yeah and that's a hard transition too yeah right and it, still gotta pay the i bills. did have i did have great guys but things just aren't the same when you're not there yeah um, you're the man that's part of the deal yeah mm-hmm. i was curious cool. actually just to know like jared with you you know early on you mentioned how you wanted to be a father, you know, that's something that, you know, you yep. wanted, you and your wife wanted to have a kid, you wanted to be father and you wanted to be able to be there for them. And, but then at the same time, hearing your story and given the type of person you are that, you know, the hair on fire, you know, going around doing all this kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, I've seen you at almost every, you know, Christmas pageant for the kids at school and the sports things and stuff like, like how do you manage knowing that that's the type of person you are? to be able to be the father that you want to be with your kids. I mean, and obviously we haven't done it all perfect. You know, that's a, that's a really tricky balance, but what's, what's that, what's that like? What's it like? It's, it's hard. It's hard to be pulled. My wife's friend says that, uh, we're, we're Irish. We're Irish. Cause we always say, yes, we can make it happen. We mm. can make it happen. And I don't know where it comes from, but this are you is Irish? We, I am Irish actually. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, yeah, partially part Irish, yeah. Irish citizenship. Um, but, uh, cause we, we never say no. And we always say, yeah, we can, we'll make it work. We'll mm-hmm. make it work. We'll make it work. But it's hard. It's hard. And you want to always, tr- you, you always want to try and do what you say you're going to do because people don't respect you. If you say something and you don't do it or you do something different, but I don't know, I try and, I try and balance both. I don't sleep much. My wife is the same. She's busy. She mm-hmm. is, she's, my poor, my eldest son, he's, he has, um, ADHD and he's got a double dose of it from both of us. My, mm-hmm. my wife, if I sit down, what are you doing? What do you mean what I'm doing? I'm sitting. Why? What, what's your plan? Yeah. <laughs> it's my plan. My plan is to sit and have a coffee. But after that, what's your plan? Well, I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, huh. so, uh, so I have my own boss. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. she's, and she's, so when we get home is when I get home, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it, you do the best you can to balance life. Yeah. And, and, uh, I love my family more mm-hmm. than anything. Mm-hmm. I love my work, but I love my family more mm-hmm. and I will do anything for them. And I will, if I have to stop work, then I'll make it up on the weekend or I'll do whatever it is to get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some nights where I worked until nine, 10 o'clock at night to get to the finish line, especially when we had a lot of houses, mm-hmm. you know, we were delivering two houses a week and, I was the one that was managing from foundation on, mm-hmm. but I was also the one handing the house over. Yep. So, so like, so th- there are quite a few details tied to that. Quite a few. 
<laughs> like the in between is you know and then you hand over and then and then it gets uh, there's the legacy work afterwards right so the first couple of years of a subdivision great just have to build the house hand them over whoop, done but then all of a sudden you know every house it's a living breathing thing mm. it inhales and exhales and and it has its issues and so you got to take care of your clients you got to take care of all those all those things so now i'm taking care of those things still working on that and handing over houses right how What's, many how many houses did we build in a year? What was the, the best year? I think, so there's one I know I framed I framed 34 houses one year. Yeah. So and I think that was the same year that we started on the townhomes, yeah. and it was over the top. I, I can't remember what you and uh, what the owner said. It was it was enormous. I think we did 45 homes that year, mm -hmm. um, or 40 some odd homes that year plus part of the townhomes. Yeah. It was it was a tough year for a small company like us. We're not a huge company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say what's what's the I mean, again, I know when I was doing my house, you know, and you know a bit of my story and, and just how that house kind of kicked my butt and I ended yeah. up having a, you know, a pretty hard go. And I know you telling me in, in a similar way, you know, that, you know, you would push yourself to the max. Um, and, you know, I was just curious, like, what's your, I don't know, what do you learn from that? Like, where, like, because again, like you said, you're, you're a yes guy, that's this Irish thing in you, but where's the healthy point of saying no? And, and like, is that something that you've learned or that you want to learn or, uh, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. That's just a, an interesting. You get to learn it over time. Yeah. And you learn that it's okay to say no. Sure. And, um, and that was a, that was a hard lesson for me. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard to say no, because you don't want to disappoint the person, right. but it's okay to say no. And I think people, you learn after time that people actually respect you more if you say, you know what? No. And right. I know I respect a sub trade and it's funny because I, I tell my sub trades, tell me if you can't make it yeah. and you're not going to show up, tell me so I can get help or I can figure something else. Mm -hmm. If you don't tell me, I can't fix the problem. But if right. you just don't show up, then you hose me. Yeah. Right. Then I can't, then I'm, now I'm, now I'm stuck. Yeah. And, and you don't just hose me, you hose the other 10 trades that sure. are lined up that I have scheduled lined up behind you. Mm. So just say, I'm not going to show up. Okay. I'll work around that or yeah. I'll hire someone else or I'll sure. look for someone else or maybe I'll just wait for you. Yeah. Mm. Or do it yourself. Or do it myself. That, that there has been a <laughs> time or two. Yeah. You, you know who the boss is because he's the guy at seven o'clock at night sweeping or whatever, right? Like that's the, that's the. But that's interesting. Those, those couple uh, key things you focused on are the same bits of business advice I give people if they ask, like what are the most important things starting a business? Like to me, you, you do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. You show up when you say you're going to. And if something's going to change, you let the person know. You communicate. Yeah. You let them know what's going on. If you're going to be a couple minutes late, just let them know. Yeah. It's out of respect to them. It's how you'd want to be treated. Yeah. And that's so rare in the trades that it's, people are so entitled. They don't say anything. Yeah, for sure. And especially over the last three years, it's been like amplified, amplified. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was a, my wife went to school with, um, with a, a girl and her father was one of the head monkey monks at um lead core hmm. and that's what he said to me and i remember taking that to heart he said uh he said i said how did you do it you, you were a framer and now you're like one of the like main dudes at lead core like you're you're in charge of like billion dollar projects mm -hmm. and he said i look people in the eye i say i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and i do it yeah i said that's it he said well essentially <laughs> and I, and uh, so I took it to heart and, and I am not perfect at that, mm -hmm. but I do the very best that I can. Yeah. Yeah. Doing what you say you're going to do. 
to the best of your ability. Yeah. And then communicating when you can't. Yeah. Do what you said you were going to do and owning that. Yeah. Combined with the willingness to say no when you know you should. Those that's, are the, those are the those are the that's the, the hardest things. one, right? That's the hardest yeah. one for me for sure. Yeah. I always want to be like, yeah, okay, I can if I do this, I can do that. If I juggle this, then yeah, I can make that happen. And the downside with that is that theoretically this should work. And mm -hmm. then one little wrench drops into the machine somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm like, now yeah. my whole plan of overpromise, I've got yeah. no margin, and then things go sideways. So those are lessons I know I've learned the hard way sometimes. So like I I have to say no, even though maybe I could say yes, but the stars have to align so perfectly for this to all fall together that I'd be wiser to leave a little bit of margin, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. make a little bit less money yeah. so I can maintain my reputation and respect the people that I'm interacting with. Yeah, yeah that time management is is so hard because again, yeah. all of us have learned that, and I mean, it's pretty much everybody learns that lesson being, you know, I'm going to make this cool. I remember I was making, remember that big thing I made in my living room with all the different cubby holes at my yeah. TV and all these different kind yeah. of cool little art pieces or whatever. And I remember I'm like, oh, it's just like, eight pieces of plywood. I'm going to make this cool thing. I, th I thought at my house, I said to my wife, yeah, I'm going to work on the, on Saturday night and we'll make this I, like weekends. First of all, like I cut all those boxes and then I made some wrong thing. And so I ended up cutting them all back around and realized that I'd done it properly the first time. And so I, it was just a big thing, but that time management aspect I think is, is huge. And I, I would assume that um, when you say yes to something, you've gotten so much better at being like, I think that I could do this in X amount of time, but realistically it's going to take three or four times that, that amount, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and then, and I guess the other thing I was wondering financially, as you're doing a big project like that, like realistically, you probably have to have some huge contingency fund to be like, things are going to go wrong. That's just the way it is. How do I, how do I prepare for when things do hit the fan? Mm -hmm. There's a line item for that. There's always a line item for that. Yeah. You, and you have to have it in every budget. There's a line item for safety. There's a line item for contingency. Sure. If there's not, there's, there, there, you need to put that in. Yeah, there should be. There should be. A, <laughs> there, there, there should be a, a time optimism is what uh, uh, a sales guy, uh, one of the realtors, coined. So, Jared, mm. you seem to be a bit of a time optimist. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. I said, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. Let's see if we can. And the problem is, if you do it, this is where you get caught. So the stars align. You do it. You yeah. make it to the deadline. Mm -hmm. Well, the big boss is like, well, you did it last week. Yeah. You got that cool. new expectation. Let's see if you can do it again. Yeah. You got that club in your bag now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You carry that. Cool. Well, that's uh, a lot of good to take away from that. Um, thank you so much for being willing to sit and chat and share. No and uh, I could see doing it again, getting into more depth, a lot of this stuff. <laughs> if you're open to it, we will bug you again another time. No worries. Um, thanks again, Brad. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure. Insight. That was fun. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Um, awesome. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Uh, take care. We'll see you again next time.